Welcome to Living With, a podcast by Health Union that explores what it's like to live with a chronic health condition. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. With each podcast episode, I aim to share how a health condition or life-threatening diagnosis has impacted someone's life. While everyone has their own challenges, I believe learning how others have coped can give each of us inspiration for our own struggles. My guest on the podcast this week is one of Health Union's contributors on ProstateCancer.net. So my name's Simon Lord. I'm 60 years old. I live in the United Kingdom. I live in England, about 40, 50 miles west-ish of London, very close to the River Thames, which some of your North American readers and listeners will have heard of. Um, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in June, about this time nine years ago, just over nine years ago. So what led up to your diagnosis? Um, a, a PSA test. Hmm. No more complicated than that. Can you tell me what happened after that? Um, well, as you probably know, we have a slightly different health system in the UK. Hmm. Um, so apart from anything else, and critically, it's free. Uh, it's free at the point of use. Um, there, we do have a private option, but that wasn't an option for me. Um, I had a PSA test. In fact, I had two because it's a slightly tortuous story. But uh, the second test was 25% higher than the first and was five months after the first one. And uh, the two combined, while not being diagnostic, were certainly very revealing of the possibility of prostate cancer because a rise of 25% in five months is quite high. Right. Uh, the figure was never very high. I mean, the, the second test, which is the, the and I only ever had two tests, was still only 5.95, which in PSA terms is still, you know, um, you know, baby. Um, you know, men frequently have PSA tests of 200, 500, 1,000. Um, uh, but uh, that prompted um, a biopsy. And uh, in this country, we've now got to the point where Prostate biopsies are typically MRI-guided, but in this uh, nine years ago, we were still very much uh, with um, ultrasound-guided prostate biopsies, 10 samples in total, five each side. Nine of the 10 were positive. Each of the positive samples was uh, about 70% tumor cells. Wow. Uh, um, and the expression then was that the problem with the truss biopsy was it's like trying to find cherries in a fruitcake. Well, I clearly had a big bowl of cherries tipped into my fruitcake mix. Um, and that, to a large extent, now I see as being an advantage. And I know this sounds really strange, uh, but um, a lot of men are diagnosed with prostate cancer, or people are diagnosed with cancer, with you know, relatively small amounts of a not particularly aggressive cancer, uh, which poses the dilemma of what treatment if at all, because many treatments, and as we know, the prostate cancer treatment particularly is quite aggressive um, in its side effects. Um, but I had no options as to whether or not I had treatment, and I had really no options as to which treatment I had, because fortunately for me, uh, my cancer had not spread outside my prostate itself. So surgery was the only realistic option, despite the very likely and subsequently experienced side effects. Mm -hmm. 
You've written for prostatecancer.net about your SWOT analysis. Can you share that story? Um, yes, I can. Um, uh, when you go into a, um, a, a new situation, um, it's often a good idea to sort of see what the um, what strengths and weakness, weaknesses you, you have in that situation and what the opportunities are and what are the threats. Um, um, I, I think, um, and without referencing back to the article too much, I mean, certainly with perspective, you, you get, you realise that actually, um, you know, what initially appears to be a very negative situation can turn out to be a very positive one. Um, and not always. Um, and sometimes it's up to the individual to find the positives. Um, uh, and if you can find the positives, clearly the negatives can then be at least partially mitigated. Um, and so I went into this sort of thinking, well, what strengths do I bring to it? Well, I brought a, a particular strength then, which I still have now, and that's sort of, I have a sort of problem-solving bent. You know, um, I can't always solve the problem on my own, but I have an ability to to look for ways of solving problems, um, you know, and it might be something straightforward, it might be something more complex, but quite often problems are solved not by individuals, but by teams. Um, so the first thing you need, I needed to do was find the right team to um, help me solve my problem. Um, and that I was able to do, because despite our health service being free at the point of use, we do have um, choices as to where we take our our treatment, if you like, or we, our treatment is, is offered. Um, and I was very fortunate to find a superb team. Um, and I think team is very important here. A lot of men um, frequently look for the best surgeon or the best oncologist. And I can completely understand why you do that. Um, you know, if you want to win, win a race, you want the best driver, you want the best rider. Uh, but as we know, um, in any sporting or business environment, it's not about the person who's the, just the person who's at the, at the top of the tree. It's often about the people that are supporting them underneath, and many of whom you might not even ever meet, some of whom you might think, meet and think are less important than the person at the top of the tree. But that person at the top of the tree would probably recognise that they weren't able to be at the top of their game without the support they're getting from their team around them. Um, so, you, you know, that was, that, was the, that was the first thing I was able to, I was able to do um, you know, I, I, I had this, this desire, this determination to find the best team. Um, and I think, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of men want to do that, but I think, I think many perhaps are, uh, in some cases, just plain confused. Or in other cases, and I suspect this is possibly often the case where healthcare is being paid for, um, impacted by a very high profile that someone might have created for themselves, which doesn't necessarily imply any greater skill or knowledge than someone who hasn't gone out of their way to create a high profile. Uh, and, and here in the UK, clearly we do have some high profile um, uh, doctors uh, and scientists in the field of cancer, but they're typically high profile because of their more technical achievements rather than because they've gone out of their way to to push themselves in social media. Um, even today on Facebook, I, I had an advertisement pushed at me um, saying that I should have my prostate tested. Well, I pointed out to them that's a great idea if they can find it because it was taken out <laughs> nine years ago. Um, but I think, you know, the, 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 the spectre of social media 
um, is, 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 you know, is, is a very large one. And um, it uh, doesn't necessarily serve us very well when people are in a very um, uh, perhaps rather over malleable frame of mind when they um, have been given a, a life threatening diagnosis and uh, are looking for answers. Um, they may listen to the person who shouts the loudest rather than the person who has um, the most accurate story to tell. Yeah, I think that that's true. And that kind of speaks to some of the negatives of social media. But what would you say are some of the positives, such as being a part of the online community in prostatecancer.net? I think, I think, I think there's a huge amount of positives. And I think, I think the great positives that have particularly come forward in the last eight or 10 years since I was diagnosed are the opportunities for mutual support. Um, uh, I think that's absolutely fabulous. We can talk to each other man to man. We can listen to stories about other men that have not been tainted by um, the spin of a PR guru or, or someone who is, who is trying to, um, uh, to make a dollar. Um, and I think that's absolutely fabulous. Um, uh, it's really important that men hear stories from other men about good outcomes. Um, so many people are keen to tell you know, stories about terrible outcomes. But actually, if you drill down, you find that most men have a good experience in the medical system. Once they've um, coped with the, the diagnosis itself, clearly for many men, that experience has long-term implications. But uh, we need men to speak up and point out that, you know, there are some very great doctors and very great nurses out there. And a lot of men get superb treatment um, once they find the right place for their for their treatment to take place, yeah, and finding the right team, like you mentioned, yeah, I think that's most. I think I, it, it, it is it is very important, um, and I think it's very easy, particularly for men. I think you know, you know, we've got this sort of we're still overhung by this sort of macho culture where you know we are invincible, indomitable, you know, we can't be broken, uh, and the reality is we are no more invincible or indomitable than anybody else out there and we need to be prepared to ask for or accept help um, in the best way possible. So you've mentioned a couple times that some of the side effects are long-term or lasting. Do you feel comfortable talking about that? I'm really comfortable. I, I'm, 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 I have to be because it's, it's a reality of my life. I mean, erectile dysfunction isn't great. Um, it's, it's, it's a very negative side effect of what otherwise is a very positive outcome for me. I am uh, in fact, tomorrow is, um, is, um, will be uh, my annual PSA test. Um, it will be the same result as I always have. I will still be a little bit anxious about getting the result. Um, but I will be given the test result in about a week or two's time. Almost certainly will say that I am, uh, have a PSA of, that is undetectable. It's less than 0.003. I'm not quite sure why it's 0.03 and not 0.01, but it is. <laughs> But yes, there are the side effects, and erectile dysfunction is, is, a, is pretty unpleasant. Um, and uh, there is nothing good to say about it. I have not had any benefit from um, any of the classic drugs. Um, uh, they give me horrible headaches, um, and they don't work. Um, and uh, so I have rec reconciled myself to that scenario. But, you know, the reality is um, everything else still works pretty well. It's a disappointment that that doesn't, but I can't change it. How has having had prostate cancer affected your career? Um, oh, massively. 
totally and massively. Um, only this week, on Monday morning, I was talking to four fabulous clinical nurse specialists at a central London teaching hospital who treat men with prostate cancer. Um, uh, it's what we call in the UK a tertiary centre, so they receive referrals in from uh, other hospitals to treat men. Um, I was talking to them about um, their opportunity to talk to men about exercise as part of their what is now called prehabilitation. We have a, um, a concept now called prehabilitation as well as rehabilitation. Um, typically, they're treated quite quickly after their diagnosis, so there might only be 10 to 25 days um, of opportunity for them to start looking at lifestyle and fitness and diet particularly. Um, but those, even those short number of days can make a big impact on the uh, short and medium term outcomes of those men um, once they've had surgery uh, and start their rehabilitation. Uh, I have uh, trained in the last four years, first of all as a fitness instructor, then as a personal trainer. Uh, this time last year, I did a course in what we call probably intermediate rehabilitation. And in the spring of this year, I qualified in cancer rehabilitation. Um, and that gives me a, a fascinating perspective. I don't think there are that many men in this country who have been through it before or after their cancer treatment um, uh, to talk to people about how exercise has really helped me um, maintain a very good level of health and how it can help them um, recover from a situation which they may see as being very negative but can actually I think in the longer term help them improve their health because it's a you know a, a treatment for cancer is clearly horrible cliche but a wake-up call from people to look at their um, current other state of health and maybe make some changes which can really make some long-term impact on their their future lives. So were you a fitness instructor before? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I was a, a recruiter, a headhunter. Oh, wow. Um, I spent 20 years doing that. Uh, my customers specialized in the design, manufacturing, and supply of, um, when I say components, I don't mean nuts and bolts and screws. Uh, I mean um, big bits of kit that go into particularly mobile, but also fixed telephone networks. Um, big organizations that um, people may have come across, like um, uh, Ericsson, AT&T. Um, and um, I'd been doing that for 20 years. Um, my diagnosis came at a time when a few other things had been going on, and it was sort of time to make a start of change. In fact, for the last six years, I've worked for one of our biggest uh, food retailers, a company called Tesco. Um, and I'd started to become interested in my health and fitness about the same time, actually, as, uh, as my diagnosis. In fact, as part of my recovery program, I, uh, I decided I would train for and run a half marathon, which I did 16 weeks after my surgery. Wow. I had actually done one just before my surgery, so it wasn't a big surprise. I've been running on and off all my life. Um, and um, uh, so I already knew that fitness could have this really positive impact. Um, and people started sort of saying, well, Simon, you know, you, you're, you're a bit of an inspiration to me. You know, you did this, you've done that. And I started realizing that actually that I had a, um, a possibility to, uh, to, to move. And um, 
Yeah, so in my spare time, such as I've had it, I've um, been studying uh, and I've got this far. Now in the next 12, 18 months, I hope to move out of my role within Tesco and into the fitness industry full time. That's fantastic. And you, you talked about how physical exercise can help you rehabilitate, rehabilitate after a surgery, but what about the mental aspects? Well, I, I, think it's, I think the mental aspects are at least as important as the physical aspects and possibly greater. Um, uh, clearly, there is physical trauma after, you know, during surgery. So, um, you know, uh, m- muscles need to be um, uh, re- re- re-exercised and, re- and, and uh, regrown. Um, but the great thing about uh, exercise, and particularly um, sort of exercise I tend to do, I do a lot of, a lot of running outdoors, for example, um, but I, I lift a few weights as well. It, 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 you know, you get the you get the endorphins, mm. but the endorphins are the short term thing. But you also get a longer term realization that actually, while that tiny little bit the size of the golf ball ain't working anymore, um, the rest of it can actually still work pretty well, um, and you can feel pretty good about yourself, and you can you know meet some really interesting people if you want to compete or do things in, in a, on a club basis, um, and you can have a good time, and you can come back, you know tired but happy after you know a couple of hours running or a good hour in the gym it sounds like it's very rewarding work i think it is and i think i think i think you know i'm not suggesting everybody becomes a fitness instructor far from it but i think a lot everybody should have a go at the sort of fitness they want to do it's not about this fitness or that fitness it's about what they want to do um you know for some people it'll be a game of tennis for others it'll be a bicycle ride um, it's, it's not about, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a set number of this or, or a certain number of that. Um, I think it's just as important that it's something, you know, and if it's 20 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, two or three times a week, that's really great. Um, if you've got the time and you've got the, uh, the health and the opportunity to do it a little bit longer on one of those days, even better. Um, but I think people really will find the benefit from it. It's, you know, if they can find things they can do with other members of their family or other um, uh, people of similar age or background or different ages or backgrounds. Um, what a great way to meet a new bunch of people and not moan about your prostate cancer, but talk about, you know, the merits of this or that in your particular sport or interest um, and get you away from, uh, from your disease and into something that is much more positive. Absolutely. What have you learned about yourself by going through this experience with prostate cancer? Oh, I think, I think, I've, I think, what have I learned about myself? Oh, it's a, it's a word I don't like, but it's a, it's a word that's often overused too, resilience. Um, uh, we, I think we often face new situations with um, uh, a feeling, a great feeling of fear and, 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 and uh, anxiety. Um, and, I think the reality is most of us are a lot stronger than we realise. Um, I've been fortunate in my younger years to have done some really fabulous and exciting stuff that really challenged my um, the way I saw um, things. Um, you know, when you when you when you jump out of an airplane for the first time in the dark, you know you've um, you've, you've conquered something. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's not the same as when um, you, you're sitting there and. Uh, the doctor's just given you a, a, an examination and um, starting to talk about um, uh, uh, the, the, the extent of your, of your cancer and, and, the, and the likely treatments. So 
I, I think I, th I think we all find that in the resilience, um, uh, some more easily than others, but I think we tend to find it. Um, so I think for many, while it's not a challenge I would ever ask them to uh, to want to face, I think when we look back on it afterwards, we often realise that perhaps we were more fearful of it than it really deserved. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I think I loved about your SWOT analysis, that you acknowledged the fears and the, the very scary aspects of it, but you also looked for those opportunities, and it, it was a nice balance. And there, there are opportunities. I have had a fabulous time doing it. I've become quite involved um, in um, a range of activities around prostate cancer, not just about the sheer awareness of the disease, because a lot of people do that, and that's clearly an important role. But I have discovered a couple of other little niches, exercise being one of them, um, another being the sort of champion uh, as a patient for the uh, clinical nurse specialist role. Um, uh, these people, they're not all ladies, a lot of, some of them are men, are really important to the longer term outcomes of cancer treatment, not just prostate cancer, but any cancer treatment. Um, and certainly in this country, they are often under-recognized um, because you don't get to meet them until you have to meet them. Um, and if you're a health economist or a politician, they may not seem to be important um, in the big scheme of things. And you may think you need lots of nurses on wards doing all the things that nurses on wards have to do. But actually... Um, the clinical nurse specialists have a really key role in the long-term recovery of, of people with cancer and other long-term conditions and actually spend an awful lot of their time keeping people out of hospital uh, rather than looking after them in hospital. And that's clearly really important because we actually hospital should be a last resort, not a first resort. Um, but trying to persuade the professions that this is a really important uh, role and that we need to support it and resource it has been a bit of a challenge of mine. Um, simply because I met some really great ones in my own treatment and discovered that they were somewhat um, unsung. Um, and, you know, I like an underdog. Um, I think we all do. Uh, but I particularly like an underdog that has such a, wide, a big opportunity to impact people in the longer term. Yes. That's, I think nurses do so many amazing things, and oftentimes they're behind the scenes. They they are they should never see that as uh, see themselves in that, in that way. They it, the the role is is very very uh, important and uh, it's uh, yeah it's, I I could go on I could I could go on for a long time about it but it, it really does motivate me. Well, Simon, it's been really lovely to talk to you, and we are so glad that you're a part of our prostatecancer.net community. Thank you for your time. I have a fabulous time doing it. It's been lovely to speak to you. Simon's approach and his SWOT analysis remind me to stay open to the opportunities that even terrible news and experiences such as a cancer diagnosis can open our lives to positive outcomes. To read Simon's articles and join the conversation, visit prostatecancer.net. You can also find more health communities at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.